So the reading tonight is from 1 Samuel 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Saul said, How can I go? Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord had said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, and he thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called, Abinadab, and he had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There are still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went on to Ramah. Well, good evening. It's uh, an absolute joy um, to be here, um, coming here has never once been a sacrifice. It's always been a joy. And uh, I get more out of coming uh, than I ever give, and I'm very aware of that. And uh, one of the things that, one of the reasons it's wonderful to be here today is because we're just watching this church go on the journey over the years and, and just being around every now and then to see, uh, to see the way uh, this fellowship has grown, the way this fellowship has developed, and the things that God has been doing among you. And, and, to, and just as Rupert said, to celebrate that is wonderful. 
And I, I honestly believe that uh, by far the best is yet to come. Uh, that which has happened up till now has been wonderful, but it's preparation. It's preparation for the future. And uh, Rupert was very kind in the things uh, that he said earlier. Uh, but the truth is, um, uh, I, I love this church, and I love Rupert and Liz and their family. And so it, it, it's a joy um, just to serve in, in a small way. Um, so it's great to be here. Uh, normally I start with some sort of joke, but it just didn't seem appropriate um, tonight. And uh, actually the honest truth is I couldn't think of one. Um, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to launch straight in. I just realized I have no... Uh, can I borrow... I, I just, for your sake, I just need to check the time. Otherwise we're going to be here not 10 minutes. That's a sermonette. And you know what sermonettes do? They make Christianettes. And, um, thank you. Um, over the years, I've, I've observed uh, those whom God has used uh, in wonderful ways. And I said a little bit this morning, this is kind of part two of this morning, if anyone was here this morning who's here tonight. Uh, and uh, I've, I've realized over the years more and more that the, the folk that God uses in wonderful ways and who are sustained in that and who, who stay the distance over, over years are often not the most gifted. They're often not the most able. They're often, if I can even dare to say this, not the most anointed. But there's something else that happens. They're often the ones who are the most prepared. And uh, so often, uh, preparation is an ingredient that we don't, in our instant society, in our McDonald's society, uh, we don't pay enough attention to. And the story of the call of David was a story, not just, is not a story just about anointing. It's anointing with preparation. Um, Saul, the king of Israel, um, didn't trust the Lord, disobeyed the Lord, went his own way. And then the Lord said to the prophet Samuel, as we had read for us, uh, uh, go to a little town called Bethlehem. Go to a man called Jesse, and I'm going to show you one of his sons to anoint uh, to be king of Israel. And then uh, um, Jesse gathers uh, um, the, the boys together, and he sends out the first one, Eliab the oldest. And everybody is convinced that Eliab's going to be the one. And there's a good reason for that, because Eliab is the oldest. And in the Bible times, they saw accurately that the oldest child in a family carries the best genes, is usually the most intelligent, sophisticated, articulate, and good-looking. <laughs> Who's with me there? Do I hear an amen? I see those hands. Amen. You know the truth. And, and, so, and so they assumed that it would be Eliab, but the Lord said, no, it's not him. I have rejected him. Now, do you know, for a few years, I puzzled on, you know, 
God, Lord, that's a little bit capricious. You've just rejected Elia because you don't like the look of him. That doesn't sound like you. And, and, and I misunderstood what that meant. The Lord has rejected him. The Lord never rejected Eliab. There's no hint that the Lord rejected Eliab as a person. I, I, I know that the Lord loves me and his love is irrevocable. He will never change his mind. He will never reject me. He will never turn me away. He knows who I am. He knows my past and my future and he is committed to me. And yet, there is a sense in which he has rejected me. He has made it very clear to me over many times over the years that he has rejected me, Mike Pilavachi, for a role as a worship leader in his church. <laughs> he is in no doubt about that. And anyone who has heard me sing will agree with the Lord's rejection. He's rejected me for a role, but he's never rejected me as a person. And so for Eliab, it wasn't a, a rejection of him as who he was, but that wasn't the role. And then uh, the second son, Abinadab, comes through, and the Lord says, not that one. And, and it's very interesting what the Lord says. The Lord says to Samuel, God doesn't look at the things human beings look at. Human beings look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And the truth is, nothing's changed. We look at the outward appearance. We really do. We, we can't help it. Even in the church, we're mesmerized in some ways by looks, but in other ways by who's a good laugh, um, who's a success, uh, who's got, who knows someone famous, or whatever it might be. And the Lord doesn't judge on those things. The Lord judges. The Lord looks for, for those who is going to call into leadership or into service, which is a better word. Service is the Christian word for leadership. For those he calls to service, he looks at the heart. And, and what is he looking for? He's looking for a humble heart. He's looking for a teachable heart. He's looking for a heart that's always willing to learn. A heart that's always willing to receive correction. He's looking for a heart after himself. And then all seven of Jesse's sons came through. And the Lord said, not this one, not this one, not this one. And then Samuel is puzzled. He doesn't understand it. And you can hear the, the puzzlement when he says to Jesse, are these all the sons you have? I don't get it. Are you sure there isn't another one? And don't you love Jesse's response? He says, I think it's hilarious. Uh, there is still the youngest. He's out in the fields looking after the sheep. And the implication is he can't quite even remember his name. There's still the youngest, um, thingamabob. Uh, you know the run, the last one. What was his name? What did we name him? Uh, he, he wasn't even invited to the party. And how many times does the Lord in his infinite wisdom choose those who we wouldn't even invite to the party? A lot of times that's who he chooses. Because he wants to say something through that choice. And Samuel says... Bring him here. We're not going to sit here. We're not going to sit down until he comes. And then David arrives. 
And the Lord says to Samuel, that's the one anoint him. And he anointed him with oil. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord rested upon David. Now, just imagine that. Can you imagine the, the, the youngest, the little boy who always gets picked on or forgotten? He's out in the fields. He's not even invited to the party. And then he gets a last minute, come, come, come in. And in front of his older brothers, he's anointed to be king. How flipping delicious is that? Now, I just, I, I just, could you just, just bear with me a moment? I just want you to go on a little fantasy with me. Don't worry, it's not a sexual fantasy or anything like that. Just, 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 just for a few moments, just, just indulge me. Imagine if. As I'm talking to you right now, suddenly that door bursts open and Theresa May marches in and she says, stop this service. I need to tell you that Her Majesty has just died. And uh, Prince Charles, we feel Prince Charles is just getting a bit too old to be king. And we've talked to William, and he just really wants to spend a few more years with his little children. And there's just no way we're going with Harry. And, and I've met with the cabinet, and I've come straight here to Holy Trinity Cambridge in order to ask you, Mike Pilavachi. Thank you. If you would be the new king of England. I told you it was a fantasy. If that were to happen, much as I love you, much as I love this church, do you think I would stay here one second longer? I'd be going down the M whatever it is. I'd be going, I'd be, I'd be, when Harrods opens, I'd be at the door and I'd be buying curtains and carpets for Buckingham Palace. I would be in there by 9.30. Do you know what David did straight after he was anointed to be king of Israel? It's absolutely amazing. The, he was anointed. The spirit of the Lord came upon him. And the first thing he did is he went back into the fields and carried on looking after the sheep. And I want to suggest to you tonight that it was in that place that God taught him everything he needed to know. He taught him everything. He prepared him to be king of Israel while he was looking after the sheep. There were three things in those days about looking after sheep. One, it was boring. There's only so many conversations you can have with sheep. Secondly, it was lonely. It was lonely. He, he only had a few sheep and he would have been looking after them on his own. Thirdly, it was hidden. There was, whether he did a good job or a bad job, no one but the sheep would know. There was no shepherd of the year competition he could win. There was no, I'm a celebrity shepherd, uh, get me out of here. There was none of that. No one would know. It was boring, it was lonely, and it was hidden. And in the boring, the lonely, and the hidden place, God prepared David to be Israel's great king. 
Do not despise the day of small things. God prepares us. God prepares us in the lonely, the boring, and the hidden places. And you know, that's hard for those of us who have been enmeshed in our culture to hear. Because we are the instant generation. It's now, it's now Amazon Prime. Not just Amazon. Where, 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 where you order today and it arrives tomorrow. Where even if you order this morning, it arrives this afternoon on certain goods. It's the McDonald's generation. Where if we don't get the Big Mac within a few minutes, we're, we're agitated. What's taking them so long? Oh, this is supposed to be fast food. And I just need to say a few things to you here. Because I'm not an expert in everything. I, there are gaps in my knowledge, there are gaps in my education, but there are some things that I am, and I say this in genuine humility, uh, I am one of the world's foremost authorities on. There are some things that I need to say to you, I know better than you. And the main one is food. <laughs> and I'm telling you, McDonald's may come quickly. McDonald's may come instantly. McDonald's may come uh, like that. But you know what? It's plastic. It's plastic. And those, those, those apologies for fries. I mean, what on earth are they? Like, like, like string beans. Yeah, they're, not, they're, not, they're not chunky chips. They're these pathetic little things. And, and you, you, you have your... You have your Big Mac, and after you've eaten it, you're still hungry. After you've eaten it, it, does, it nutritionally, it does you very little good. It doesn't cost much, it's cheap, and you get what you pay for. But I'm telling you, in the name of the Lord, <laughs> there is a restaurant half an hour from my home called the Sahara Lounge, which is a Lebanese restaurant. And it is the most, it is the nearest place to heaven that I have ever experienced on earth. You know, there are, they say there are, in, there are thin places where, where heaven is close. The Sahara Lounge is a thin place where, where it's like a stairway to heaven. And George, the head waiter, and I, over the years, we have become best friends. And when I walk in, he hears me before he sees me. And he says, is that my friend Michael? Come to see me. And I say, George, it is your friend Michael. Come to see you. And he takes me to my, to my, to my table. And I go there with, with, my, with my friends. And we order everything on the menu. And it is all wonderful. But there is one item in the Sahara Lounge menu that is... I, there are not, even Shakespeare wouldn't have words to describe it. It is the Sahara Lounge chicken dish. Now, when I say Sahara Lounge chicken dish, you're thinking, it's chicken for goodness sake. It can't be that good. You don't understand. You are ignorant. You are ignorant. This chicken, it melts in the mouth. It is utterly utterly unbelievable it, it just you don't you you don't want the experience to end 
And, and once I asked George, I said to George, tell me, George, please, please, what, is, what, what does chef do? I have never tasted chicken like this. This is like no chicken I've ever had. What, what is the secret? And, and George said, if I told you the secret recipe, I would then have to kill you. And he said, but I'll tell you this. There is a secret marinade that the chef makes. And it's got its own blend of herbs and spices and oils. And he didn't tell me this, but I'm personally convinced that yogurt is involved there somewhere. And he says, chef marinades this chicken for two days and two nights two days and two nights in this special blend and then after two days and two nights he cooks it very slowly and that's how it becomes so delicious god is not looking for instant mcdonald's plastic christians there's enough of those what god wants to do is he wants to marinate you over a period of time and then cook you slowly so that you taste delicious to those outside the church so that you are nutritious to those who don't yet know Jesus. And that doesn't come in an instant, and that doesn't come cheap. That comes in the boring, the lonely, and the hidden times. Anointing is not enough. I'm, I'm, I'm a total, sold-out, card-carrying, tongue-speaking, charismatic. I mean, I believe in the anointing, but it's more than just, if we just wait for the anointing, we miss it. God prepares us in the secret place. Where, where do you think David, where do you think David learned to be Israel's great worship leader? I mean, he wrote, he wrote songs that we're still singing today, thousands of years later. Some of his songs are still in the CCLI top 10. Take his most famous hit, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me in green pastures. Your phone's switched off. He, he leads me in quiet waters. He restores my soul. Oh, thank you. Mm -hmm. And he restores my soul. Where do you think he wrote that? He didn't write that in a palace. He wrote that on the backside of a hill at three o'clock in the morning, playing his harp while the sheep were asleep. Of course, that's where he got the inspiration. The Lord is my shepherd. He became Israel's great songwriter and worship leader in the lonely, the boring, and the hidden place. And you know what? Every summer at our festivals, I get... I get I get 14-year-olds, and it happened again this summer, 13-year-olds coming up to me saying, uh, uh, the, the Lord's called me to be a worship leader. 
And I'm thinking, that's wonderful. And then they spoil it by saying, yes, and the Lord's told me um, uh, that, that, that next summer I'm to lead worship at Soul Survivor and I'm going to have a platform and I'm going to, I'm going to write a, a worship songs that are going to go around the world and you're going to help me to get it out. And I'm thinking, you're missing it. You're so missing it. The last few years, and, and I can take the hint, just about each summer someone's come up to me uh, who's 13 or 14 and said um, uh, the Lord's told me that I'm to take over leading Soul Survivor from you get out the way and you know what I mean the Lord might have told some of them but it's like you want to say hey you're McDonald's become Sahara Lounge chicken let God marinate you and cook you slowly so that you prepare. Where, where do you think David uh, learned to be a great warrior? We just turn the chapter to, uh, uh, to 1 Samuel 17. And uh, um, uh, the, the, the armies of Israel are facing the Philistines. And there's the giant Goliath. And he's standing there. And he's taunting the armies of Israel. Come on then, bring your champion to fight me. And they're all scared and even Saul won't go. And David's brothers are there in the army. And David's dad sends David. He sends David uh, uh, with, 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 with some provisions, with a picnic. Now, can you imagine? Just, I don't know, but I would have expected David at that point to say, okay, dad, I'll, I'll take the picnic to my brothers. I'll do what you want. But don't forget, pretty soon, I'm going to be your king, dad. But he, there's no record that he said anything like that. He went and he took the picnic. But you know what happened when he took the picnic? It went all a little bit wrong. Eliab, David's oldest brother, overheard David asking what was going on. And we read this in verse 28. When Eliab, David's eldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You only came down to watch the battle. How many times have you heard older brothers kill their younger brothers with words like that? You know, you only, I'm going to let everyone know, you only got a few sheep. Don't make out that you're a big shepherd. You can only look after a few. And, and here's David answering like so many younger siblings that we've heard. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? Now what have I done? Can't I even speak? Do you know, if I was David, at that point, I may have said, I've had enough. I'm not putting up with this. I'm going home. All right, leave it. You just, do. and I would have taken offense and I would have got hurt. But you know, David didn't. And it changed everything. If David had done that, I think he would have missed God's call on his life. And over the years, and I've been around a long time now, and I've gone to lots of places. And too often, honestly too often, I've come across folk 
who are, who are in the twilight zone on the edge of the church and they've been there for years and they seem gifted and they seem able and, and they seem uh, in, in all sorts of ways like they should be involved but there they are on the edge and so often when I've inquired, when I've asked, I've discovered that somewhere 16 years ago somebody offended them, someone hurt them and they kept the offence, they kept the hurt I was overlooked to be a backing vocalist. The, the, the vicar didn't speak to me. I wasn't elected to the PCC. I never got to do the reading or whatever it might be. And they've stayed in that place of offense and they've missed God's call on their life and they've wasted years. Now, I'm not saying it's easy to forgive, I'm Greek. And you've heard of the Greek vendetta. Well, we just, you know, in my, in my background, in the culture that I come from, you know, we, we don't forgive easy. We raise the stakes. We make it worse. But I've had to learn. Some years ago, um, a church leader in London, um, I, I, I started hearing, he was starting to say really nasty things about me. Not very pleasant and horrible. I'll call him David. That's not his name. And, uh, and it really hurt. And it frightened me. And it was like, what have I, why, why is he doing this? And then I found out after a while that he was saying just as bad things, if not worse, uh, about Nicky Gumbel uh, from HTB. And then I felt better. And um, that's the honest truth. And, uh, but I was still hurt and angry that this guy was saying things about me and never said them to me. And then I went to a meeting uh, with Nikki um, uh, with, and with others, and I went up to Nikki and I said, Nikki, have you heard what David's been saying about you? I say this, I say this in love. Have you heard the terrible things he's saying? He's been saying things about me as well, Nikki. What, what should we do? And in my heart... I was wanting Nikki and I, HTB and Soul Survivor, to form a pincer movement against this church leader and attack him from all sides and destroy him. <laughs> and do you know what Nikki said to me? He said, yes, yes, Mike, I, I, I've heard what he's been saying. You know, Mike... We love David. Pippa and I, we pray for him every day. We love him. I've written to him and I've said, if there's anything I've done to hurt you, please tell me what it is so I can apologize and ask your forgiveness. I haven't heard yet, but we pray for him every day. Mike, we love him. I stood there. And I suddenly wanted to become a Christian. Because guess who got it right? And who got it wrong? And you know, when we hold bitterness and unforgiveness, and I know it's hard, we miss out. We put ourselves on the edge and we miss out on God's calling in our lives. David didn't do that. But you know what? He went up to King Saul 
And he said, I'll go, I'll go fight this Philistine. And Saul says to him, what are you talking about? He's been a fighting man since his youth. He's a giant, and you're a little boy. What makes you think you can defeat the Philistine? Do you know what David's response was? He says, your servant has been practicing kung fu. <laughs> he doesn't say that, does he? I, I lied. <laughs> <laughs> He said, what he said, get this, he said, your servant has been looking after sheep. Now, today, I don't think that would get you into the SAS. What's your qualification? I've been looking after sheep. Really? But then David explains himself. When a lion or a bear came to attack the sheep, I killed the lion and the bear. This Philistine will be like one of them. He learned how to be a warrior in the lonely, the boring, and the hidden place when nobody was looking but God. That's where he got it. That's where he learned it. And where did he learn finally? To be Israel's great king. Uh, where he learned to be shepherd to Israel. He learned the secrets of how to be a gentle shepherd to Israel when he was looking after a bunch of disorganized sheep who wouldn't do what they were told, just like human beings, according to Jesus. He learned all the lessons he needed in that place where no one was looking but God. If you're in the boring, the lonely, and the hidden place, do not despise it. Do not despise it. God is, is, is making you there. God is marinating you there. God is cooking you there. God is preparing you there. I spent years in that place. And every now and then, God seems to think I need to go back there. And I've learned to embrace that place and not to despise it. I end with one story. Oh yes, I'm all right. I end with one story. And this is, this is true. Well, I mean, it sounds like everything else I said has been a lie. Uh, but um, about um, 21 years ago, um, I was invited uh, to go and speak um, at a camp in Finland, in the center of Finland, uh, by a lake near a town called Uvascula. And uh, I went there to speak, and um, uh, on the second afternoon, this kid came up to me, 16 years old. His name, he told me his name was Timo, and he said, can I talk to you? And I said, sure. And he said, can we go somewhere quiet where no one can overhear us? And I said, well, look, there's a bench overlooking the lake. Why don't we go and sit on the bench? We went and sat on the bench, and Timo started pouring out his story, and it was terrible. And he told me how his dad had been an alcoholic and up until the age of nine, his dad would often come home completely drunk and he would beat his mum up and he would beat Timo up. And Timo at nine years old and eight years old and seven years old was too small to defend himself or his mum and it was terrifying. And then one day when Timo was nine, his dad left home and never ever came back. And Timo said, um, we don't know if he's alive or dead. And I'm torn up. On the one hand, I hate him. 
But on the other hand, I want to know where he is. I, I, I long for him. And he said, I've just been depressed. I've just been low. Um, whenever anyone talks about God as father, I want to hit them because I, I, hate, the, I hate the idea. And, and, and he said, just like my life is empty. And then he said to me, I have made a vow. I have made a promise to myself that I'm never going to get married and have children because I'm scared that I've got my dad's DNA and I never want to risk doing to my wife and kids what my dad did to me and my mum. Well, I listened to him. We talked. We prayed. The next afternoon, he asked to see me again. We spent the next afternoon sitting on the bench, overlooking, going through it again. On the final afternoon, I was, I was going to be taken to the airport at the end of the afternoon to fly home. He asked to chat again. Uh, this time, I was, um, I was wearing, ready for my journey home, this jumper that I had bought uh, from Norway. That was amazing. It was the best jumper I have ever bought. It was a bit like that jumper, uh, but it was better. It was, um, <laughs> it, was, it was thick, brilliant white wool. And it was just so soft and wonderful. And, and it was, if I can put it like this, it was my size. It was, it was extra, extra, extra medium. And, and it just fitted me so, so well. And, and I loved it. It was my favorite. And uh, Timo just had a T-shirt on. And, and that afternoon, there was a breeze blowing in from the lake. And after a little while, Timo said, hey, I'm cold. Do you think it's all right if we go in? And just at that point, I, I sensed the Lord saying to me, um, lend him your jumper. And my honest response was, no. <laughs> let him get his own jumper. This is my jumper. But you know what the Lord's like? He doesn't let go. He just keeps repeating. And, and in the end, I said, hey, Timo, if you're cold, here, here borrow my jumper. And Timo said, are you sure? Aren't you going to get cold? And I said, no, I have central heating. I have inner layers of which you know not. And, um, and he put on the jumper and we were talking. And to be honest, it looked ridiculous on him. You couldn't see his hands, um, you know, and it was like a dress. It went down to here. But somewhere while we were talking, he, he just went like this on the jumper. He said, hey, this, this feels really nice. And then to my utter horror, the Lord said to me, give him your jumper. At this point, I was seriously considering becoming a Buddhist. <laughs> and I was like, Lord, this isn't fair. It doesn't even fit him. But the Lord kept saying, give him your jumper. And in the end, I, he just wore me down. And I said, Timo, if you like the jumper, you can keep the jumper. And Timo said, are you sure? Are you serious? And I said, yes, I'm serious. And he seemed really pleased. And then they called me and I had to go. I said goodbye, got on the plane, came home. That was 21 years ago. Five years ago, I was back in Finland in the southern city of Turku. And I was uh, speaking at the pastor's conference for the Evangelical Church of Finland. And when I arrived, um, uh, um, I was introduced to my interpreter, to my translator, and I sat down with him and we went through what I was going to say in case there were any phrases that didn't translate and all of that stuff. And I spent half my year traveling in different countries. I just got back on Friday from uh, New Zealand. And um, there's lots of positives about traveling, uh, but there's one huge negative for a Christian. And, and that is this, everywhere I go, 
nearly everywhere, there's usually someone who thinks for some bizarre reason that I'm interested in looking at photos of their family. <laughs> and it's like, it's bizarre. And you know, you go somewhere, you're tired, you're jet lagged, you just want to be alone, I want to have my introvert time. And there's someone who's, you know, like, oh, would you like to see photos of my... And, and, and this interpreter, my, the translator, he said to me, would you like to see photos of my wife and kids? And I wanted to say, look at me, do I look like I want to see photos of your wife and kids. Why would I be interested in your wife and kids? But I've learned how to do the stuff. And so I said, oh, all my life I have been waiting for this moment. <laughs> um, and he said, let me show you my wife. And he showed me a photo of his wife and he said, oh my goodness. And I said, oh my goodness. I said, I said, wow. I mean, you are so lucky. How did you manage to get a, a wife like this? And the honest truth was, if I can be honest with you, she was all right, but, you know, she was Finnish, for goodness sake. And, 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 but I just knew what to say, and I was like, oh, my goodness, this is, you know, this is amazing. And he seemed really pleased. And, and then he said, can I show you photos of my two little girls? And I thought, this is never going to end. So I said, please, please show me photos of your two little girls. And he showed me these photos. And again, you know, they were two little girls. Um, but, I, you know, I said... Please, please, take those photos away. They are blinding my eyes. Are, are those little girls, or are they angels, perhaps? And he seemed really happy. Well, anyway, we got to the last day of the conference and the last meeting. And my translator, before the last meeting, um, he said to me, before you speak, I want to speak. And I thought, I'm sure that's not how it's supposed to work, but it's not my gig. Okay. And he got up, and he talked in Finnish and English, so I would understand. And he said to everyone, he said, I'm 32 years old. My name is Timo. 16 years ago, when I was 16, I was at a camp by a lake near Uvascula. Mike was the speaker. He doesn't remember me. And I met with him for three afternoons. And I told him my story of my alcoholic dad who used to beat me and my mum up and then who disappeared out of my life. And how I was full of pain and hurt. And how I just couldn't get over it. And then on the last afternoon, he said, um, I told him I was cold and he gave me his jumper. And, and I knew it meant a lot to him, I could tell. But he gave it to me. And then, and, then, and then he said this, and then he left. But what he doesn't realize is that that jumper changed my life. Because he said, in all my life I'd never received a present. My dad never once bought me a present. And then after he left, my mum and I agreed that we knew we loved each other. And because we didn't really have any money, we wouldn't bother to buy each other presents. And then I was telling Mike about my pain and about how I just didn't, I, I just was so low and I couldn't trust that God loved me. And this stranger gave me his jumper. And he said, for the first time, I had hope. And I started on a journey to find healing. And then, I promise you this is true, he bent down into a bag and he took out the jumper. And he said, 
I never thought I'd see you again. I've kept this jumper for the last 16 years. Today, he said, I give it back to you. It's done its job. It's done its job. That jumper sits in my chest of drawers in my room. I will keep it till I die. And he showed me the photos of his wife and his beautiful little girls that he vowed he would never have. Do not despise the day of small things. I had no idea. It doesn't have to be big. It just has to be a jumper. It doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't have to be public. It doesn't, God's kindness, it, God's kindness when I needed it, years later, God, God showed me the fruit of that one thing. It's the little things. Keep sowing seeds. Let God marinate you. Let God cook you slowly. Let God prepare you. So that you taste good to a world that needs to see the real thing. Not plastic-coated Christianity, but the real McCoy. Amen. I just want to say, I need to rebuke you. The things you've been saying about your young people is out of order. They're not as bad as what you've all been saying they are. And I think it's totally unfair that you should say those terrible things about them behind their backs. Okay, you can carry on walking now. <laughs> carry on walking. This isn't for you. <laughs> I probably just devastated them. <laughs> anyway, I shouldn't have done that, sorry. I couldn't resist. Let's, uh, let's pray. And maybe the, the band or at least some of you could come up to give everyone hope.